Hello, friends. This is Chris. Welcome to another wonderful episode of the One Great Work Warriors. Today, I have with me Jerry, Jim, Derek, Brandon, and Crip Rick. And we're going to talk about a very tricky and interesting topic. We're looking at the topic of suffering. And we were really talking about some deep issues in terms of how do we know that natural law is real? How do we know that objective morality is a principle that we have to deal with this reality when so many people kind of don't like those terms or deny those things might be the case. And that got us on the subject of suffering. And we got to wondering if that might be a way to discuss this difficult topic. And um, so before we get into it too deep, I'm going to just read to you uh, something I found about the word suffer. The word suffer, I was looking up the etymology, and I like to use the online etymology dictionary. And I found that the word suffer, a verb, it can mean to bear, undergo, or endure. And that's uh, Latin, staffere. And it also can mean sub, as in under. And sub came from ferry, which means to carry, to bear. Also bear children. So um, it's an interesting and difficult thing to talk about suffering because it's something we all experience and it's something that affects our lives and all of our actions don't just affect us, but they affect other people too. So um, we're also talking about the fact that suffering can be manufactured and that we don't necessarily have to experience the level of suffering that we are right now. And we're all looking at a world where there's a lot of people experiencing a whole hell of a lot of suffering. And we're asking, is there a better way? And that's really why we've all come together is because we do have hope for the future. And if there is any hope from the future, it's going to be from our point of view, from my point of view, and people starting to recognize the deeper issues as far as to see the principles behind the world we're in and recognizing that Suffering is one of our ways of understanding the balance of natural law. And on that note, I'm going to hand it to my man, Brandon Spencer, who's going to take us into a mythological deep dive and understanding of the word suffering and manufactured suffering. Thanks, Brandon. And thank you for that. And uh, before I, you know, jump into it, what I want to say, you brought up okay, a good point is, you know, suffering um what's required unfortunately for all of us to come into this physical realm you know so i would say that it's in, like it's a form of you know how natural surf how natural suffering you know birth is a suffering thing you know to have to go through you know not only for the woman but you know for the you know held the uh child who's birthed into this world so i consider it like a natural form of suffering you know like there are just you know, things that are going to happen, how accidents, how acts of nature, which some people, you know, may say that depending on our consciousness, you know, we can maybe help, help alleviate. But in the physical world, there's always going to be unfortunate things. You know, there's there's no 100 percent guarantee of a safe space in the physical realm. It just doesn't exist. So you're always going to have this form of suffering. You know, there's going to be loss of life. 
um, you know, we're all are going to mourn, you know, so those are forms of natural suffering. But I like to um, distinguish between the manufactured suffering, you know, that we are causing due to our ignorance, you know, due to our trauma, you know, fear, you know, not taking personal responsibility. So I think it's good to start and lay a quick foundation. You know, we're talking about, of course, the manufactured suffering, not like the natural suffering that just comes with a part of being, you know, hell alive. Because hell, believe it or not, there is responsible. Uh, there is responsibility for being, you know. And as long as we are here, then there's responsibility. So when it comes to understanding this suffering uh, from a manufactured chaotic form, um, I always like to use the allegory, the sim the symbolic allegory of Mayat and Ishvet. And I've done a, a, a presentation uh, explaining these concepts because the Egyptians quite understood this. Um, and not only them, but a lot of other great ancient civilizations. And this aspect of Mayat, you know, she was the caring, she was the, you know, the loving, nurturing way of learning. You know, she represented truth. She represented morality. She represented natural law. She represented harmony. She represented knowledge. She represented balance with nature and her laws. And the Egyptians knew that if they chose her because she was symbolic of right action, of higher states of consciousness, then they would be pretty much gifted. You know, Mayat would come in the form of rescuing her or rescuing the Egyptians and nurture her and nurture them with her wings. You know, how Mayat was always said to, you know, have had the old wings, you know, almost kind of to wrap hell around you, you know, in and of a sense, because our natural law is supposed to be there to guide us. She was that guiding force. And the Egyptians knew if they took this knowledge and they decided to, you know, go with her teachings and they would harmonize with her teachings, then they would get, uh, let's just say, bountiful way of life. You know, it wouldn't be too much suffering. It wouldn't be too many forms of violence. It wouldn't be, you know, all of these negative forms in degradation of consciousness. Well, unfortunately, you know, we all know here, you know, that when you're dealing with the feminine, you know, aspect, you know, there's two sides to it. You know, you have the balanced side and then you have this chaotic form. Well, Mayat had a twin, which it wasn't really her twin. She was just one in the same being. Um, she had another form, which was Ishvet, I-S-F-E-T, Ishvet. And Ishvet was the one that represented chaos. She was the one who represented ignorance. She was the one who represented government. She represented slavery. And again, this was symbolically represented wrong action. So when the people decided to use coercion, when the people decided to believe in, uh, in man-made authority and not put truth as the authority and natural law as the authority, when the people decided to steal, you know, stealing, uh, you know, stealing from you know, thy neighbor, uh, you know, using violence, you know, using coercion, then my yacht would transform and she would show your ass uh, because Ishvet was the disciplinary force. 
So you had these two concepts, which were nothing more but the same concept of natural law. But the whole point of that story, which that story is in a lot of, you know, ancient civilizations, that story was to use creation, you know, to try to get one to understand and see the bigger picture. Like, hey, there are consequences here. And if you were choosing with your hands to create wrong action and to create coercion, to spread fear, to steal and to do violent things, you would get Ishvat, you know, you would get chaos. And the Egyptians also knew that if you chose Helmayat, you would get the nurturing aspect. It's it was considered, you know, the, you know, how the two ways of teaching, because when you apply these same concepts, it's learning the easy way or learning the hard way. So in actuality, when we're talking about suffering, it really comes down to, are we really truly learning or which way are we choosing to learn? Are we choosing to learn from the symbolic, allegorical, nurturing aspect of Mayat in her caring aspect? Or are we choosing to go down the more chaotic path because we have a hard-headed, diamond-like, calcified ego and we think that we can control other people? Well, that's going to manifest Ishvet. And not that, you know, not that these two beings are like real beings that should be worshipped. No, these were allegorical symbols to get people to understand nature and her laws. You know, and Maya and Ishvet were also personified in the Greek tradition, you know, Harmonia and Eris. Um, and also too, Daiki and Adikia. You know, Daike was a like smaller rendition of the feminine principle, and Adikia was her counterpart, you know. You had Harmonia and Discordia. I'm sorry, uh Concordia and Discordia, you know, Concord, you know, was the harm it was the harmony you know discordia was the chaos and again it came down to free will choice and then you had in the form of the titans you had themis which is funny because if you're familiar with the myth the mythological story of zeus and the titans themis was she was one of the titans who did not get imprisoned in tartarus well how can you imprison divine law you can't because that's what Themis represented. She represented divine law, divine law, divine universal law. And, and hell again, she was always shown, you know, with the blindfolds, the swords, you know, um, the scales, all of, of those symbols, all of those were representative of truth because the truth sees no boundaries. The truth is not blind. You know, the truth can stretch out to any to any aspect of darkness you know it cuts through all the bullshit of the lies symbolic of the sword you know and of course the scales hella justice because our behavior is supposed to be measured to a certain standard and that's the whole point of weighing something is you have a standard and if it does not weigh up to this certain standard it should not be upheld and that was the whole point of the scales that was the whole point of themis but you see themis represented divine order but Themis was a bad bitch. She was a bad bitch. And when she transformed into Nemesis, oh my gosh, you're talking about divine wrath, divine universal wrath, meaning 
you get what you're owed, you know, and just think about that. When you're talking about divine wrath, you get what you're owed, then you're talking about some form of cosmic debt in the form of wrong action because you are selecting wrong action over the right action. You were choosing to ignore your conscience. You were choosing to use coercion. You were choosing to buy into fear. So these mythological stories that talked about these, you know, feminine principles in nature were used to try to teach the initiate about how natural law and how we can alleviate suffering by way of choice. So I've already talked hell enough. And I think that was, you know, simple that most people can understand. And I highly encourage you, if you are not familiar with those mythological stories, to please go and check them out. So I'm going to pass it on to Derek. And thank you. Yeah, Brennan, thanks so much for yeah the mythological journey and gnosis of the those things that you know we should all be considering you know as far as like archetypal and conceptual you know ideas and forms of consciousness energy that we need to you know take in mind and you mentioned natural law and the first thing that came to mind in context to everything is just cause and effect and what we're subjected to in this 3d reality field with all the elements going on and we're you know Obviously, we're cut off from our higher senses. Otherwise, we wouldn't be stumbling, fumbling around and like hurting ourselves, bruising ourselves. You know, like we're talking about suffering and how much of it is really, truly manufactured and how many people are actually digging deep enough to really figure that out for themselves on an individual level and on the collective level. You know, we're going to get into the whole, you know, governmental form of control over people and being uh we're you know all people kind of subjected to coercion whether by police state and you know going back to the karens where there's like these mini me police people trying to police other people and virtue signaling like hey i'm following all man's laws if you're not doing it we're gonna tell on you or and blah fucking blah you know like subject to morality and that kind of shit but uh yeah going back to being cut off to our senses and not being able to navigate this reality as you know smooth and slick as we would like to you know like neo in the matrix you know no one's really going through the matrix unscathed not even him in the awakened states you know there's so many agents up in this bitch and then some and then you know just you know following one's alignment towards yeah understanding all the hermetic principles and in the rhythm of life and all the all these you know, factors that are within ourselves and without ourselves or outside ourselves. And, you know, through the collective consciousness and interacting with people, yeah, that's, I'm going over a lot of vague things, but to, you know, narrow it down and, and hone it back into this whole idea of manufactured suffering, right? How much of it is that and how much of, you know, the negative causes that we, you know, but unto ourselves is directly related to ourselves. And we really got to do some deep, serious introspection as to, you know, the law of attraction and how we've, you know, you know, conceived from the mind, you know, our thoughts, emotions, and actions through our interactions with other people and this and that. While at the same time, the over 
overarching, you know, collective consciousness and just like people born under this form of slavery, if you like, you know, under government, you know, whatever country people are from, we're not all that free, you know, if we really boil it down. So, yeah, there's limitations to what we can do, our freedoms and all that. And that is just in and of itself, naturally, a form of suffering. So, yeah, it can be frustrating and just like little things like when we grow up, when we're little kids, we're running around, we're going to fall down, we're going to we're going to hurt ourselves. That's suffering. That's pain. Right. But these are learning tools for us to not fucking do it again. Right. In this 3D realm where it is kind of like, you know, like the cosmic, you know, kindergarten, whatever the hell you want to call it, where, you know, we're going to, you know, it's kind of trial and error. And the least amount of errors is going to be that, you know, learning curve toward for people. And we can take it to the 100 monkey point or just like learn from other people's mistakes and go through apophatic inquiries of ourselves and, you know, other people and stuff. Like I worked in so many restaurants over, you know, like a dozen years where the most I've learned is from shitty situations where people are doing shit wrong. And I'm like, this ain't right. And so like. We can do it a better way, and that's just like uh, a compelling way of like improvement and evolution, I guess. And to avoid suffering and like frustrating moments and all that stuff, we can, you know, level the fuck up from that. And uh, Brandon, I like how you said with the scales, like where's the fucking standard? Where's that gold standard of you know like the golden feather of myot and living as light as that? wonderful thing as you know we did a great conversation with so yeah enough said on my part for the moment so i'm gonna pass it on to whoever feels uh you know good to go with it rick you want to jump in next a little bit trying to, i'm trying to get my thoughts thoughts together because brandon and and uh makes a great yeah. point and well, they actually, all you guys, are, both of you have made a great points, and I'm just, my mind's really, I'm trying to, like, put it in, trying to get the word, thoughts in my head into words, and I'm thinking, and I think I, I can just say what I'm feeling, and I, and the question is, manufactured suffering required? Obviously, I don't think it is, but then I wonder why humanity as a whole seems to be bent on determined to learn the hard way, because it seems as a, humanity as a whole, that seems to be how we're learning, is the hard way, and I think my immediate thought is I, I'm just being honest is why, why are we in that? Why is that? Why is it that way? And then I think it's because, you know, the people calling the shots and you're dealing with evil and moral people that are calling the shots and it kind of rolls downhill. And then you have people that are willing to carry out these uh, orders or whatever you want to call them. You have immoral people with no principles willing to carry them out. And I just think there's so, and so I wonder, like, I, that's where I'm going with why we're in this state of suffering is because you have people that don't have principles or morals. And I, and I think it's a, a lot of things going on. You have media that's putting out information and influencing people. So you guys, it's, it's, it's so complicated to me because there's so many moving parts to it, but I just, I'm trying to get it together and where I'm thinking, but I just keep coming back to more relativism. When you have people that, because I do believe there, and I know there's a, the universe puts laws in the place and where, you know, if you follow them, 
you're going to get the results that you want. But people are so hell-bent on determining what this moral relativism and making the rules up as they go and thinking they can change things that, of course, we're going to get the re- – that's what we're going to get back. We're going to get back what we're getting because you have people that are – you know, they're not – they're yeah. not – they have no principles or morals. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. As I was just saying, it kind of rolls downhill. You have people willing to carry out orders that are immoral. You have the influence of social media feeding people 24-7 and people not knowing about natural law. And I think that's so important. I, I hope I make sense. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of all over the place. I do apologize, but that's where my mind goes is when I think, I just think why are, is humanity where it is? And it's because, you know, we're of more relativism. That's what I think. And I think we're tr- people that try to change the rules and make them up as they go along and think they can rewrite them and, deviate around them and stuff like that that's why we're getting all of this suffering it's just because we're not living with the rules that the universe put in place the laws that they're in place for a reason to keep us on that road and the reason that we're not is because we're being influenced in so many different ways and then people have no you know they don't realize they have no morality a lot of people don't have principles they don't they don't even have a foundation to build on and so when you have everything coming at you like that as i was saying earlier it's going to steer people to where we are. So that's my thoughts. I hope that makes sense. Maybe you guys can yeah. <laughs> kind of make sense. Out of and, it, but um, I think you. Yeah. Great points. Great points. But uh, real quick too, I just want to note that suffering is not only cause, it also means to pre, uh, uh, to prevent from happening. So we have people who are also causing suffering, but then we also have a lot of people who just turn a blind eye to it, which continues it. That's true. So yeah, I just wanted to make that clear. Cool, thank you. Yeah, um, I feel I feel you, Rick. Um, I struggled a lot thinking about this too. But yeah, when it comes to manufactured suffering, it makes me think of it like the highest form of that is the mind control that people are under. Like that's manufactured, right? That's basically what you've been saying. The government, the mind control, that's manufactured suffering. And um, another big word that sticks out for me is responsibility. And we're not taking responsibility because we do know that so many people are suffering. And I, I thought of, you know, like you've been hearing a lot lately about the, the cell phones in, in Congo and that. And we all have these things and we use them. And we know that that that's manufactured suffering, all that mining of the cobalt and and that. And I'm not taking responsibility for that. Or but that that's really a modern day form of slavery. Um, as of course we know, there's so many others, but um, like that's more like you know the, in the physical realm, but. Yeah, that's just um, that's that's what I got is like kind of there with Rick like that. If anybody wants to jump off of that, like the manufactured suffering really is the mind control that we're under. People are under. Yeah, and it's it's a thick all around us. I I feel like um, one of my personal struggles has been like since I was little, I felt like um, something that Mark Cassio talked about that really hit me was the way he described 
how things get manifested into reality, you know, and, and the way I've kind of run it around in my head is that first it starts with, with just a thought, you know, and a thought can kind of like build into an idea, you know, the thought might just be, huh, I should, I wonder if I could do something. And then the idea will be like, Oh, here's what something might look like. And then that idea becomes reality when we do it in the real world. But what that aspect shows that it seems like kind of far away from what we're talking about, but it shows that there's more to this reality than just the physical world. And I think the argument um, has been from a lot of people when we start talking about the soul, you know, is the soul a real thing? You know, um, we got different philosophies. Um, what Brandon was sharing with us, a very interesting philosophy of the Egyptians. And that's something I was looking into a little myself. And I found it very interesting. But, you know, it also, let's compare a little bit. We got like the Buddhists with the idea of the um, eternal soul. And um, you got Hindus with the idea that being born again multiple times, right? You've got um, resurrection idea, you know, with the Christ Christianity of being born again and waking up to this reality. And then, um, you know, we got like Nirvana, heaven, these different ideas, right? The trouble I have with all these different religions and stories is that there's an aspect of it that's asking you to believe, right? But what we don't have to believe is suffering. It's something we can experience. It's very real in this world. We all experience it, right? And more times than not, isn't it? I'm going to ask you, isn't suffering a result of things we do? And that's manufactured suffering, as Brandon has put it so well. Obviously, childbirth there's a certain amount of suffering but even so why are we having a child because we decided to a man and woman decided to get together and get it on right like they knew that that might lead to a child and they chose to do it everything in our life where we make choices there's always the possibility of suffering on the other side of those choices and so the bigger question is how does that matter in the big scheme of things how does it affect our soul do we have a soul what happens after we die and that's where I think the Egyptian um, mythology that Brandon brings up is, is kind of unique compared to a lot of them because the Egyptian mythology puts the responsibility on the individual that you're the one that's going to have to face this feather when you die. And if you, you know, if you don't weigh up correctly on those scales, you're going to go to Amit, the devourer, you mm -hmm. know, and I did some work on Amit on, on some, you know, their idea was you just straight up get eaten. You know, Your the monster of the universe yeah. is going to chomp you in the stomach and you're going to get smashed into universal bits, you know, and that's that probably ain't going to feel too good. So, you know, it's a concept and that's idea, but it's very much based on the individual. So um, I think that's an important concept, but it's also important to recognize these are stories and myths. And what's the purpose behind them is to make us aware of something that can't quite be only figured out with the logical left brain mind it, it requires a certain level of intuition seeing the bigger picture the connection on the soul level on the small minute in my personal life and then how that affects everybody and what might happen after we die so um i'm going to kick it over to jerry he's been really quiet i know he's got a lot of good ideas i hope i spurred um something for you to jump off from you're up next jerry thanks chris great points uh What's it called? It feels nice that you say that I have something good to say. So uh, I actually had a question to uh, for Brandon because uh, I, I wanted to just ask uh, if you could uh, touch on the divine law 
that the Titan that didn't go to prison, if you could just touch on that once again, please. Yes, uh, Themis. Um, she was a symbolic representation, and they called it divine law. And I understand why they would use that word because, you know, like when you, like we say the term natural law, you know, so we just equate it like with the earth. But when you say how divine, you're talking about something that's like out of this world, you know, like, like kind of like cosmos, like godly in, in, in other sense. But she was just held the principle. So um, held the Greeks had this concept because they had, of course, on many forms of law, but they equated divine law to be the highest uh, because they obviously understood the importance of consequence. Now, hell, mind you, we all know that the Greek civilization eventually turned into hell, the Roman civilization. So, you know, obviously it was some form of contradictory there. But at least this this principle, this aspect was there to teach them like, hey, it's not just about you. There's something bigger to this whole thing that we call life. There's something bigger to this whole thing that we call, you know, Earth, getting people to see a bigger picture. So when you use the word divine, you're thinking godly, you're thinking out of this world, not human, you know. So this concept, this immutable principle was used as a teaching grounds because, hell, again, they didn't just teach it in the aspect of the caring, you know, to teach just one side of it is incorrect because you only get 50 percent of of the knowledge. They also taught that this divine law didn't give a shit about her belief. It didn't give a shit, you know, hell about um, um, her intentions. It was just that it rewarded us what we put out into it, which is why you had two concepts, themis and nemesis. And nemesis was actually there to invoke a natural form of fear to get people to to choose to make the right choice because if you look into what nemesis have represented it would be like you know how ancient man always said well how the gods punished us you know how the gods sent the flood you know how the gods you know you know how they did this well that's what they was meaning by divine law is themis is going to transform into her nemesis and she's going to teach us a lesson and here's the thing it's no different than when you uh, have to discipline a child. You don't really want to have to do it, but you do it in order for them to learn. It was a learning aspect which has to be understood. Themis, Hell Nemesis, does not care. She's only here to guide and to teach us to learn and grow. That's what these concepts and symbolic principles were there for, is to teach us, to teach us. And hell again, um, when it comes to learning, you know, do we have to touch a hot stove in order to know that it's going to burn us? Do we have to? No, thank you. We don't. And I'm going to explain this because I use the same concept because by touching that hot stove, you are going to symbolically meet Ishvat because it's going to be chaos. Your, you know, your hand is going to be blistering. You're going to be suffering. 
But because of your ignorance, you chose to ignore the somatic sensory cortex, which is in the uh, heparietal, you know, right here. Of course, you have the occipital lobe, you have the frontal lobe, and you have the, the temporal lobes. Well, the somatic sensory health cortex is the region in, uh, I'm sorry, is the region in our, neo, in our neocortex which responds to temperature, heat, pressure. And it sends off certain signals because he'll just think as you get closer to a fire or to a stove, what happens? You, we use our extremities to perceive information. So even if you are blind and you can't see that fire, you can put your hand closer to that stove and the sensors in your fingertips, because we have sensors in our fingertips. We also have, you know, hairs. That's the whole point of why our bodies are constructed the way that they are. As you get close to you know how that heat, that pressure, that temperature, those sensors in your fingers are going to react. They're going to respond. And what are they going to do? They're going to relay that information up to your central nervous system, all the way up into how the thalamus, all the way up into the uh, brain. And it's going to go into that sensory cortex, that somatic sensory uh, cortex, which the word somatic just means, you know, how relating to the body, you know, not relating to the mind or brain. So it's a sensory, um, you know, how part of the brain that takes the information from what we sense. It's the opposite of the the primary motor cortex, which takes in, you know, like information as far as, um, you know, like, you know, like how what we do with the hands, you know, like how input. So it's kind of like a left brain way of taking in information and the sensory somatic cortex is like the right brain way of taking in senses but they both take in health information. So as we get close to that fire, something something in our brain is going to be telling us like, hey, don't do it. You know, hey, there's heat. Hey, there's pressure. You know, so we can learn from that. Also, too, we can learn from other people's experiences. You know, do we have to keep jumping off a cliff to understand gravity? No, we don't. We can learn from the experiences and experiment, throw things off a cliff, you know, and we're going to get that immutable result every time, you know. So I use that concept of touching the hot stove because you can use that same concept to get people to understand like, hey, do we really have to suffer in order to learn? No, there are many ways that we can learn, you know, a lot of ways that we can learn. Yes, we can learn from suffering. I'm not denying that, but it's a route that once you start to go down and you don't fix it, you're you're immutably going to lead toward nemesis. Unfortunately, because that's just the way that the laws are. And again, like I said earlier, there is responsibility that comes with being and there is responsibility that comes with being at our level of consciousness even though it it is extremely low there's still consequences that are going to come for that that no one will ever be able to escape and sadly we are you know receiving those consequences because people don't want to you know reach and grasp that responsibility just for you know just for being you know there are responsibilities that come with just being humans so i hope that kind of you know, like touches more up on the whole Themis and Nemesis, you know, aspect because hell again, Themis was one of the gods who's not really talked about. She was actually higher 
than Zeus. I mean, uh, Jesus. But uh, yeah, she was uh, she was one of the higher gods who who kind of gets left out in history. But she represented an immutable divine principle, which was talked about in a lot of her ancient civilizations. Yeah, yeah, so, go ahead, Derek. You're up. Ooh, thank you. Uh, so yeah, like what you just touched upon, you know, a minute ago, Brandon. Thank you for everything on that. Uh, as far as like taking responsibility for your actions, that puts so much more power and you know control behind the driver's seat of your life. Um, as someone who's learned the hard way, pretty much, you know pretty hardcore almost every year of my life having my Saturn on the 29th degree on some, you know, hardcore learning shit. And yes, pain has been a, a hell of a fucking lesson for me and like so many other people out there as well. And yeah, the quicker we, you know, own up to our shit, you know, you know, realize our, you know, uh, our faults are, are, you know, errors in our ways and correct those the less pain we're going to have and i think you know you know what are we doing in exactly and like what is part of why we even come on to the camera and speak about the any any of this stuff is because we don't want to have future generations you know continue the same negative cycles of this self-inflicted fucking suffering whether on the individual collective level right so that's part of, you know, what this is about. And we have to take it back to the question of, you know, the title of the video of, you know, well, who is manufacturing the suffering? You know, it's a multi-layered question. And, you know, what kind of suffering are we talking about? You know, it's all, everyone has their own suffering and we all have to own up to our own shit. And that's part of the healing on the individual level that, you know, gets amplified in the, into the collective and you know it's part of that awakening process the hundred monkey thing or whatever the hell right so there, there's that aspect to consider as far as any kind of words of encouragement um yeah so i gotta sell on that but uh yeah who's good yeah chris was good man <laughs> i like your um, pro in the background is that a raven yeah yeah it says on it um a conspiracy of one <laughs> a conspiracy interesting because the the you're always breathing in on, on the universe you know the universe is going to be you know speaking with you whether you want it to or not aspire yeah the spirit. jerry did you get your question answered do you have anything else you wanted to add to that well I think what he said was a point, and I don't have anything else to add. I'll uh, wait <laughs> after these gentlemen go. Well, I had a kind of interesting, um, what would you call it, like a, a coincidence? I guess there is no such thing of coincidences, but it was a serendipitous thing just recently I was um, out on the lake I like to spend time on the lake and I had um, a little raft and I wound up standing on it like I would my paddleboard and I was paddling and I was thinking about you know <laughs> the Egyptian because Brandon had been talking about the Egyptian um, mythology and I was thinking about who's the guy who ferries him across the river and I looked it up 
and it's Sharon. <laughs> and I thought that was kind of funny because we were talking about Karen last week our, <laughs> in our last conversation. And um, here Sharon was the, the demon spirit that took you across the water. But um, the thought I had when I was on the lake and I was thinking about what I was thinking about is how do we our balance in life, right? As I was balancing on this boat, I'm using my left and right leg. And I thought of, about in a way like you, you kind of make this triangle shape when you're standing in a balanced shape, right? Your head's at the top and your two legs, they're like, you know, our brain is balanced, right? Our right and left hemisphere. Or you could think of the two principles, right? The self-defense principle and the non-aggression principle. There's this meme, the female and the male. There's all these um, elements in every aspect of life, right? But then up top, we have our head, you know, that thinks and it drives the boat, right? But in that balance, it's similar to the scales we're talking about, right? There, there is a balance on how we lead our life. And when we get out of balance, the further you go one way, like whether it's the water, like you lean one way, you got to um, compensate the other way or you're going to fall in, right? When you're driving, if you start getting out of control and you swerve one way, you got to swerve back. And the crazier your swerving gets, the more difficult it is to get under control. So that's the suffering, right? When you crash, when you fall into the fire, right? And it's because you got too out of control. You didn't keep the balance. And so I think really life suffering helps us learn balance because like you ignore your hand, feeling the heat, boom, you feel the burn. And then you got to suffer for a few days or a few weeks until you learn, don't put your hand there, right? And the same with the balance. We're constantly, everything we're doing in life is providing this back and forth um, action for everything we do. We're feeling the reaction. And I don't know how we could deny that as being a reality, because to me, that is the reality we live on. It's like giving us constant stimulus through our emotions on how we're doing or how things are going. Um, so how do we take that, these thoughts and transmute them into something we could do positive in our life or figure out how we could speak to others about some of these more difficult concepts? Anybody want to take this for, um, any advice or comments for listeners and how we can put all this together into something that people can take away? Um, pretty complicated question. <laughs> Takeaways. What comes uh, to mind, guys? Well, I um, I have one more aspect as far as how we understand the suffering is real that I wanted to touch on. But um, if anyone wanted to ask that question real quick, feel free, because I've talked hell enough. Um, yeah, go ahead, Brandon. Oh, but if I said that wrong, the ferryman was Karen. That was the actual name. It's spelled like Sharon, C-H-A-R-O-N, but it's said Karen, which is really funny. Yeah. Because oh. uh, he's like kind of the literally this character is like the least caring guy of all. He, he doesn't give a shit about it. <laughs> give me your coin or you don't cross my river. You know, <laughs> just pure yeah. balance, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Chris, does it help to answer your question? I mean, so. Yeah, you've heard probably heard in the New Age realm or even the conspiratorial or whatever, or like this notion that even at the cosmic highest level that uh, there needs to be bad in order for people to understand that there's good. Yeah. And so if that's the case, then there's like ultimate suffering for everyone kind of thing. And it's like, 
did the creator intend that just, you know, because it's like this false sense of duality that's not in alignment to the true cosmic principle of polarity, which I wanted to touch on even, Brandon, before you mentioned the whole stove thing, because that's, you know, part of understanding natural law and just like being in touch with your senses and the elements of understanding the difference between hot and cold. And yeah, like there's going to be a little delay time before you get to that super hotness from where you're standing or where your arm is. And yeah, these hands, man, they're fucking magic, man. Uh, Brandon put a, together a great uh, com- uh, presentation on that. That's all I wanted to say. Anything you got, JJ? Jim, Jerry? <laughs> um, I just had a question for Brandon as far as um, in the modern day. Is there any like modern day characters to look people can look at like to compare to Demis and Nemesis or you know what I mean like what that's all like disappeared yeah. now like how yeah. come that's not around anymore well you know? yeah okay we're or all it, you know? um okay yeah I'm going to use this hell hell analogy and Jerry don't take this the wrong way but Jerry may be the youngest one he may not he'll remember this but you remember in the 90s in a tv show or something like that when you had the main character was faced with a choice, you would see the devil pop up on one shoulder and the devil would be whispering in their ear or it would be like a angel. I'm sorry, a, uh, a, a, um, I guess like a dark spirit, like in red and it would be whispering, you know, like in the ear. Yeah. You know, go screw this person over, you know, he'll go and do this, go out and drink, you know, go out and party, you know, what do you care hell, about the consequences? Then it would he'll disappear. Then on the completely opposite shoulder, you would see a kind of divine-like creature pop up and say, hey, you know, think about how the choices, you know, what would be the right thing to do? We saw that a lot growing up in the in the late 80s and early 90s. And the reason why I think we don't have these characters or these symbolic representations is because once the advancement of technology came, they knew that they could stir people's consciousness in such a degree and decrease it to where um those kind of symbolic representations inevitably have died off because like mark passio said you know the psychopaths have given us their minds at a smaller level you know so they wouldn't want these symbolic representations being thrown on any kind of you know how television show or in any movie you know how these days so that's what I would equate it to, you know, like the whole uh, person popping on the shoulder. And then because I saw that a lot growing up in certain TV shows and certain movies, yeah. I'm pretty sure how y'all remember that too. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then how nowadays, like past 2000, it kind of died off because you see what the consciousness has inevitably been because ever since, you know, 2001, the consciousness started to what decrease exponentially. And it's all by design. It's not by chance, you know, so it's it kind of gets into like the whole mind control aspect, because, you know, once once the technology started to come, you know, once the technology got to a certain point and our consciousness got below, you know, where the technology was, then it was pretty much like going to lead to a failure. So that's what I would use as a more like newer form of allegory. Because there aren't really many, a lot of, I guess you can say, modern mythological stories or ones that I know of 
And even if they are, they really aren't any different than the old ones because they all <clears throat> can turn, uh, they all contain certain things. You know, they all contain certain uh, symbols and arts types to get you to understand the richness, the, you know, the fullness, the meaning and the clarity, not within the story, but in here and in here. You know, um, Brandon, you reminded me, I had to go to uh, Disneyland one time. <laughs> this was quite a few years ago. I didn't have to go. I decided to go along. Family was going. And I remember um, being in there on the ride for Pinocchio. And they in that ride, they actually had a pretty neat uh, painting on the wall. And that story of Pinocchio is where Jiminy Cricket popped up. And I've talked about him in some of my presentations. Jiminy Cricket represented our conscience right? Yes. Like you were saying, the angel and the devil. And in that story, um, all the young people were tempted to go to this island where you could smoke cigars and play games. And, um, you know, there were no consequences is the way that these um, con men basically sold this idea. And I think that's a good um, allegorical story to show the situation we're in in this world where things are really back ass word. Um, mm -hmm. You have to go against the flow when the flow is people all doing evil things. And for those out there who think that the world is not full of suffering, I would ask you to really spend some time looking into statistics on the number of people that go missing every year. Look on the statistics of child trafficking and you begin to understand even human trafficking, child sex trafficking, that the numbers are probably worse than they've ever been in history because it's hidden behind this facade of modern day technology and modern day oh we're we're living in a much more um organized society than we ever have in history and now we have this freedom so-called right but behind the scenes there's more homeless than we ever seen before so if these structures we have in place are not evil then why aren't they doing anything about this if these wealthy people that are in power that have money right now that own the world why aren't they doing anything about human trafficking on a mass scale and child sex trafficking and um, homelessness and um, all these super big problems where there's plenty of money out there to take care of these problems if money was the solution, but it's not being put there, which to me just shows how bad we're suffering that we can't even recognize the obvious dynamic that's going on around us. And we're so easily fooled into submitting and um, just kind of like looking the other way. Well, all the suffering is going on right around us. So to me, that's the most obvious way to see that what we're experiencing is chaos and mayhem, not what people call chaos and, and you know, anarchy is not, that word does not mean chaos and mayhem, but that's what people think it means because they've been programmed through the media. And that's part of what keeps leading us into suffering, thinking things are the opposite of what they are. It's good to have a super organized technological society that just tells us what to do and makes rules on books and paper that we can follow. Laws are good. That's the way people think. They keep us safe. And that's why we're suffering, because we continue believing that obvious lie. That's well, kind of how my I conclude, but I'll pass it on. Anybody else want to throw some conclusion action in? I'd love to hear it. You know, one more thing, because you brought up that Pinocchio scene, and I'm glad you did, because I remember that scene very well. And I remember Jordan Peterson, the older Jordan Peterson, like 12 years ago, he actually broke that 
he broke the Pinocchio scene down and he talked about that because I remember all the kids who went to the island, what happened to them? They end up turning into animals. They turn into jackasses. Yes, yes, yes. So it was a symbolic representation of what happens when we follow the hell illusion, when we follow the mind control, when we follow. Yeah, (laughs) you know, and it's no difference, you know, than what the church has done, but that's a whole different story. Uh, But uh, to get in my last uh, aspect of how can we come to know, you know, how natural law, you know, like is manufactured suffering are required. So when we look at the principle of vibration, we know that nothing is truly ever still, you know, nothing ever truly rests, you know, like is at rest. So you can equate that to where you're all forms of energy like everything is made up of energy so what is the energetic vibration what is the energetic frequency that you feel when someone has stolen from you what is the energetic frequency when someone has has been raped what is the energetic frequency when someone has been murdered like what is the feeling that you feel internally have you ever come across one person who has experienced uh, transgression against natural law that it has said that they have felt good. Not one, because you're not going to, because there is an energetic frequency that comes with wrong action, just as though there is an energetic frequency with right action. You see, when you do something that is truly right, that is truly good for someone else, it's uplifting. It makes them feel good. They'll respond in a certain way. Even the people who are in that environment will respond because that's what love does. It's a frequency, you know, so you look at it from an energetic frequency and we all know that, you know, like our bodies have a, 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 a morphogenic, you know, how, how energy field because all things do. So that field starts to radiate that positive energy. Well, you know, how the same thing happens on the negative you know, when there is violence, what is the energetic frequency that's put out? Fear. And you can feel fear, not just within yourself, but you can feel the state when someone else is in fear. It is a literally a feeling that you fear. And I know we have all felt it. So there are multiple ways for one to show you how the manufactured suffering is not required because what is the energetic frequency? And what is the consequences on the body? The stress, the fear, the anxiety. What does that all equate to? Bad health, bad way of living, low loss of living. Because the body is not meant to be in high states of fear, anxiety, and stress all the time. Because that is an energetic frequency that causes what? Chaos. And what happens when man is in internal chaos what happens when our bodies are in chaos what happens when our organs are in chaos what happens when our cells are in chaos it starts to break down starts to fight against each other so hell uh, so hell again i came like with three different angles you know which i think all are extremely plausible for anyone to understand you know so just some food for thought just some food for thought Who's hungry? I'll just just say that, uh, you know, manufactured suffering is required for government to succeed, right? Yeah. That's that's what they know. 
that's the realization of, of them. And then the rest of the people have to understand that too. That's how they're getting over on us. But thank you. And uh, just to close, I just think this human experience is so amazing. And I know we all did come here. Our souls came here to experience as part of the human uh, life suffering. But that's a whole like other subject of what our our soul. But I believe that. But anyway, <laughs> I'll pass it to uh, Rick. Oh, you guys all make great points. Wow, I've just been really enjoying the conversation and listening. And I'm just I'm just trying to break it down. I always try to break things down to the simplest, so so I can just give people like a sound bite or something that they can think about. And I just like to tell people. And it seems to work for me is that you get what you put out. That's really what, that's how I look at it. You know, the energy that you're putting out is what you're going to, it's going to echo back and that's what you're going to receive. So, you know, if you're putting out positive energy and you're, um, you know, you have principles and you have morals and you know what real rights are, you're going to be putting out that positive energy and it's going to come back. If you're somebody that's putting out negative energy and hurting people and, uh, lying to people, stealing from people, that's what's going to come back. And so the more that people start getting in alignment with natural law and start getting principles to, as a foundation and build upon that, the more people that start learning this and understanding it and putting it out is how we're going to change things in the aggregate, how that's going to change, you know, worldwide. It starts with us, with each person. And that's the what we have to work on. It always seems to come back to that. Every conversation I have these days seems to come back that that's the work that's required is that people don't want to do is they have to start looking at themselves and asking the hard questions and dealing with them and getting right with themselves and taking in this information. And then once they do, they're naturally going to, I would hope, put the good you know energy forward. And that's I think that's how you're going to change things. So I, that's what I would leave with people. Just be really conscious of what you're putting out is what's going to come back. Yeah, Jerry, I know you want to say something to close out. I just want to tag on with what Rick was saying and ask another question. Because we've all suffered to whatever degree, to whatever level. And there's, you know, trauma. There's intergenerational trauma or, you know, you know, past life trauma. All these things to consider. What are we doing to try to heal that, you know, break those cycles, you know, reinvent the wheel towards the more positive polarity of things. Get that shit spinning, you. <laughs> I see you grinning, you. <laughs> well, I got, I got lots of ideas myself. And I think that um, having that imagination running is the key, you know, for people to actually try to think about it and that's a huge step because a lot of us haven't been ever encouraged or trained to do this type of thinking so it's 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 a long road for uh for humans right now because humans have been stunted in their growth in so many ways jerry you got any concluding thoughts you want to share with us buddy yeah uh what derek said the, the question uh the question is, how can we 
switch from one polarity to the other or the next. I think discipline, um, habits, so starting, uh, being consistent at changing, and then that becomes a habit, and then it's it's second nature. So I I certainly uh, feel that suffering is not required to uh, it's not necessary and. Yeah, um, I was watching a video um, about manufactured suffering, but this was um, referring to how we are addicted to suffering because, like, our ancestors went through a lot of suffering for us to uh, be where we are, and so that's like the... uh, I don't know, nature, but we can like nurture, right? You have that, uh, the nurture. So I just, uh, advise to nurture yourself. That's it. I'll leave it at that. Awesome. Well, um, anybody else got any closing remarks before I, before I, um, kind of finish this up? Yeah, um, my thing I want people to understand is manufactured suffering is what causes trauma. Manufactured suffering is what causes trauma. You know, and trauma just means to a split, a wound, you know. So as long as we stay divided, we will continue to create manufactured suffering because we will continue to stay traumatized and we will continue to traumatize others. Great point. Right on. Well, I'll just um, kind of close it up by saying this. You know, um, like Rick was saying, it's really important what we put out there. And that's our intentions, our expectations. And those are all based on how we think. And if we're stuck on beliefs, that's going to affect how we think. So um, what we put out into the world is important. And it's not like a cartoon. We're not, every time you do something bad, an anvil's not going to fall on your head. Sometimes it's hard to see why some people are getting away with the evil they are in the world. Why are these psychopaths still ruling over us? You know, and I think that's where it really comes down to asking ourselves, are we doing enough to stop them? You know, people have been planning for many years to figure out ways to get one over on other humans. And those of us that are planning and working towards a better future, we need to be working harder than they are. And that means putting effort and taking responsibility for our choices and re-questioning and thinking about things that have been passed down from previous generations. Just because they suffered doesn't mean we need to create that same suffering for our grandchildren and their grandchildren. We can rethink it. So that's, that's what I would leave you with. Use your imagination. Consider a better way, folks. We gotta stop their mass stealing. So that's uh, another awesome discussion. One great work, Warriors. Thanks so much, guys, for joining me today. Anybody want to shout out your um, show or something you're working on, feel free. You can check me out at andevil.life and freedomundernaturallaw.com.
Yeah, and we're trying to dissolve some divides with Leslie Powers, you know, and Brandon Zmanon and a bunch of other wonderful folks. <clears throat> and, yeah, we're just trying to encourage ways where we can end slavery and suffering, you know, be alive and thriving, if you will. And if you're awake at the lake in Reading somewhere, too, that's cool. <laughs> but keep it light as a feather, goddammit. Or God love it, rather. Not trying to put anything above it, but hey, you know, like taking it back to the hardcore intelligence and, you know, taking it back to Mayat and Ishvet and finding that balance within yourself amidst everything going on. You know, like no one's got it super fucking easy. Even like this you know, golden spoon fed babies out there, whatever the fuck, you know, like. Like we're all subjected to a lot of bullshit out here. So, you know, like That's we true. could all. Try to help each other out, each one teach one, and, you know, reach up to the next uh, level of, you know, standards of living where there's less suffering for everyone kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, peace out, everyone. <laughs> right on. All right. Check out Crip Ricks. I've been thinking. Check out Jim's Truth in Your Heart YouTube channel. Check out Brandon Spencer, Odyssey, and and um, on the One Great Work Network. And Jerry, you also have your YouTube channel pump in and uh, Instagram, something like that, right? All right. Much love, guys. We'll see you next time. Peace Warriors out. Yes. I'm here for a reason and trying to figure all that out. I think like everyone's here for a reason. And uh, once I understood moral relativism and, and natural law and all that. I had that like a, a dozen years ago and that completely made a fucking frequency shift in my life. And I just like got attuned to natural law kind of naturally because that's kind of more or less our natural state. If shit isn't all fucked up and perverted and inverted, we're programmed as kids like, you know, like, oh, I gotta do this and this and that. There's always gonna be something else. There's a lot of, you know, things to be done. Really spreading the message is the most important thing. And so, but what's the message, you know, is about objective morality and natural law. Like I haven't found anything more powerful than that that can really make a difference in this world and uh, get, you know, people, to live in a much better condition.
looking up the etymology and I like to use the online etymology dictionary. And I found that the word suffer, a verb, it can mean to bear, undergo or endure. And that's uh, Latin, suffere. And it also can mean sub, as in under. And sub came from ferry, which means to carry, to bear. Also bear children. So we all experience a natural form of suffering, you know, like there are just, you know, things that are going to happen, how accidents, how acts of nature, which some people, you know, may say that depending on our consciousness, you know, we can maybe help, help alleviate. But in the physical world, there's always going to be unfortunate things. You know, there's there's no 100 percent guarantee of a safe space in the physical realm. So when the people decided to use coercion, when the people decided to believe in in man-made authority and not put truth as the authority and natural law as the authority when the people decided to steal you know stealing uh you know stealing from you know, thy neighbor uh you know, using violence you know, using coercion then my yacht would transform and she would show your ass uh because ishfet was the disciplinary force so you had these two concepts, which were nothing more but the same concept of natural law. But the whole point of that story, which that story is in a lot of, you know, ancient civilizations, that story was to use creation, you know, to try to get one to understand and see the bigger picture. Like, hey, there are consequences here.